Welcome to This Week in Nickelodeon History. I'm your host, Captain Eric. Welcome aboard as we celebrate some Nickelodeon anniversaries that took place in between July 3rd to July 9th. And uh, you know what takes place in between that time also? July 4th. Good old America's birthday. Happy birthday, America. Don't celebrate too hard. Make sure you have a designated driver. And uh, let's celebrate some Nickelodeon anniversaries because we have a lot to get to today. By the way, we're, we're starting out with, with a big one. Um, now, technically, this show ended back in 1984, and, and we're not celebrating the official end of the release of Pinwheel, July 31st, 1984. I mean, <laughs> we will in a couple of weeks. We'll actually be talking about the show. It was originally created by Vivian Horner, who, if that name sounds familiar, you will know that she is one of the uh, leading minds behind Nickelodeon itself, because Pinwheel is the very first show to air on Nickelodeon. Now, the reason we are talking about it today is because all the way back on July uh, 6th, 1990, is the final time that Pinwheel would rerun on Nick Jr. So eventually, Pinwheel would just run on Nickelodeon proper and reruns and so on and so forth. Until Nick Jr. came around and, and Pinwheel being aimed more towards a younger audience was then perfect for the Nick Jr. lineup. Then eventually, come July 6th, 1990, it was time for, for Pinwheel to say goodbye to Nickelodeon forever uh, before Eureka's Castle coming along and, and kind of taking its place as, a, as another puppet show made for preschoolers. So... 32 years ago since the final airing of Pinwheel on Nickelodeon, that, that is something historical to, to think about for a moment there, that, that original show, everything that, not, not that the entire network had to ride on this one show's success, but uh, the show has a, a, a history leading back all the way to 1977, almost 30 years of, of being on the air and, and being a part of Nickelodeon's history, so uh, I tip my imaginary hat to pinwheel as I'm not wearing one. If I was wearing one, I, I would be tipping my hat to it. 40 years ago on July 4th, 1982, we had the premiere of the documentary television series Against the Odds, created by Cy Schneider and starring Bill Bixby. It was also narrated by Philip Proctor and profiled inspirational people throughout history, including those, uh, those, you know, not really well-known people like Albert Einstein, Pablo Picasso, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., um, Al Capone, Jackie Robinson, Helen Keller, P.T. Barnum, Pele. Don't know any of these people. I've never heard of them. Not, not one. Not one name on this list have I heard of. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt? I don't know. I might have to actually watch this series to learn about some of these names. And uh, funny enough, there is actually another show that aired on the American Heroes channel called Against the Odds from 2014 to 2016. Lasted 
pretty much the same amount of time, two years, but they are completely unrelated shows. Um, I, that that show has everything to do with the U.S. military and, and the battlefield history, and this one is obviously aimed towards kids, and lasted two years on the air, ending around July 4th, 1984. 32 years ago, on July 4th, 1990, Skate TV premiered on Nickelodeon. Starring Matthew Lillard, who, if that name doesn't sound familiar, it, it should for a lot. For a lot of you out there, Matthew Lillard should sound familiar, but you might know him better as uh, one of his well-known characters as Shaggy from the Scooby-Doo franchise. He was the original live-action actor from the Scooby-Doo movie from 2001 and Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed before becoming the official voice of Shaggy for pretty much every animated property um, I believe in the in the late 2000s, uh, early 2010s is when he took over officially. But every year they were releasing Scooby-Doo films. But all the way back in, in 1990, he was hosting a skateboarding television show on Nickelodeon. But it wasn't just hosted by Matthew Lillard, who at the time was actually going by the name Matthew Lynn, but it was also hosted by Skatemaster Tate. The show ran for 13 seasons, was directed by Z-Boys and Dogtown legend Stacy Peralta, but featured skateboarding legends like Tony Hawk at a very young age, but also Nodis Coppice, who I gotta say, if you have never looked up the skateboarding of Nodis, N-A-T-A-S, then I implore you to go look it up. He is one of the greatest street skaters to ever exist and, and truly did not need a vert ramp in the world to enjoy life on a skateboard. You could put anything in front of this man on a street and he would find a way to jump off of it, spin on anything, skate, grind, and you name it. Just it, What was crazy to me is my introduction to Nodis was through the Tony Hawk video game series. And then when I started going through his, his line of work, in skateboarding, I, I, the history, I was just absolutely blown away by. So I unfortunately completely missed Skate TV in its original run and only watched one episode of the show when it aired on Nick Gass uh, through that's, that's running as an entire channel, which, by the way, if that's your first time hearing of Nick Gass and what is that, uh, Nickelodeon had an entire channel devoted to all of their sports stuff, all of their live action uh, game shows, and it was called Nick Gas Games and Sports. You know, you get the acronym there. So uh, I watched one episode of Skate TV, not not in full. It was like catching uh, whatever late part of it, but um, that was it. And I, hey, I enjoy skateboarding, so I, I enjoyed what I saw. If you can find any bit more of Skate TV, uh, or at least any of the work of Nodis Coppice, I implore you to to look out for that. If you do have an interest in skateboarding and and maybe where um, where a lot of the big names started and and a lot of where skateboarding evolved from uh, its humble beginnings as a simple leisure activity to where you know of skateboarding today, I do recommend looking up any of the documentaries about. Dogtown and the Z-Boys. There is a documentary called Dogtown and Z-Boys directed by one of the Z-Boys himself, Stacy Peralta. But I also do recommend the, um, there is like an actual uh, film of, of, the, of the events of what had happened called Lords of Dogtown. 
I, I can't recommend either of those projects enough. If you have any sort of, of, you know, like or appreciation of skateboarding, watch those. But also uh, check out Skate TV if you can find episodes of it around. Also, 32 years ago, on July 4th, 1990, we had the premiere of Nickelodeon's Wild and Crazy Kids, originally presented by Annette Chavez. In its first run, the show would go on to run for 75 episodes before ending on December 1st, 1992. 20 years later, the show would be revived for a slight run on July 29th, 2002 to October 7th. 2002. Uh, Wild and Crazy Kids, um, probably my least favorite Nickelodeon game show-ish kind of show. The best way to explain it is it's like watching a, a school's field day. You know, if you've gone to an elementary school and you've celebrated field day, it usually takes place at the end of the school year. And it's just a day where the, the school staff have set up uh, just a day's worth of events. You you still come to school, but you're not doing any work from beginning to end. You're just having fun. Usually involves a bunch of different activities and games. And, and more or less, it's just Nickelodeon's structured version of Field Day, which, trust me, with Nickelodeon behind it, it has all the bells and whistles you'd expect. So I might not be explaining it in the absolute best way possible, um, but like I said, I, I didn't really watch this show. I, I almost turned away from Nickelodeon anytime it was on. I had to have at least watched one episode in full for me to have that kind of opinion. Uh, there were a few notable guest appearances, though, uh, on Wild and Crazy Kids. Mark Summers from Double Dare appeared in a special 1990 episode titled Double Dare vs. Wild and Crazy Kids. And once the show hit the third season, they pretty much guaranteed a guest appearance on almost every episode with appearances by Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Michael Fishman, and a young Tobey Maguire um, appearing on the show before he was famous, promoting the short-lived Fox sitcom Great Scott, which I'm just hearing about this uh, this show that I didn't know existed, and somehow it's not about uh, Doc Brown. Which is a bit weird if, if your show is named that and it's not about that character. Maybe I just have weird expectations. I don't know. Uh, but I may not be a fan of Wild and Crazy Kids. But I'm sure those of you out there who are have fond memories of that show. So I would love to hear about them. Because uh, I, I can't tap into nostalgic memories of that show other than knowing that I changed the channel almost any time it was on. I enjoyed the theme song. I will give it that. It had a really bopping theme song, but that's 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 where the the line stops. That's where I have to really pull back on on any other compliments because other than that, I I would just be making stuff up, and I don't want to do that here. So uh, so we're just gonna move on. But if you do have any fond memories of Wild and Crazy Kids, any any cool moments that you can bring up, I would love to hear about them. But we are going on to one game show to another. Because 25 years ago, on July 7th, 1997, we had the premiere of Figure It Out. The game show was created by Kevin Kay and Magna Leolis and was presented by Summer Sanders. The show was designed to bring a kid contestant on who had a skill, a special ability, or they owned a pet who did something special, or there was just something cool to bring up about this particular kid 
and they would have to have a contestant board of Nickelodeon All-Stars guess what their goal is, what their special skill is. Each contestant would get a chance to ask the kid yes or no questions about their skill or talent or what object they brought. Sometimes they, they brought something really cool. And one of the set pieces of the show was Billy the Answer Head, a giant head with all of the words of the of the final answer kind of blocked out. And anytime someone would say a word, I believe it wouldn't even need to be their turn if they just happened to utter it. It would then release the word and, and it would unlock and we would just get more of the puzzle. Now, the one big catch with Figure It Out that was that was beyond any other game show was the secret slime action. You see, after the first round, the secret slime action would be told to the audience, both the live audience and us viewing audience, though the contestants would not get to know what the secret slime action is, the, uh, the all-stars there. Now, the point of the secret slime action is that it would be something super innocuous that somebody could do or say or even just for somebody existing. And if that happened to occur, slime would then drop down on the person who ended up doing the action. For example, the secret slime action could be somebody touching their nose. So at that point, the next round, you have no idea, and the contestants also have no idea what the secret slime action could be. So they're just going about their business all of a sudden, somebody is touching their nose, an alarm goes off, and, and nobody knows at that point who did what or what the action is because there's even times where the secret slime action, as mentioned, could just be existing. I, I distinctly remember an episode where Steve Burns, uh, the host of Blue's Clues, was on Figure It Out, and I believe the secret slime action was something involving hosting Blue's Clues, or it was something along those lines, like owning a blue puppy. It was just, you knew it was going to be him. It was just, when was that alarm going to go off? And that was a part of the fun of the show. Uh, they would also just do a lot of different charades and bring out objects to to give the contestants a bit of a help into guessing what the action is. Now, the the longer the rounds would go and the more that the, the contestants there would be stumped, means that the more prizes the kid would win. So their goal is to keep everybody stumped and to keep them guessing but once the once the whole thing is kind of unveiled then the game ends and then each and every time we give the spotlight to uh to the kid to show off whatever talent they have uh to show off whatever collection they brought or if they have an animal that can do something really cool this is your time to shine at the end of every single episode i really enjoy figure it out and it certainly uh is a game show worth kind of looking back into and, and bringing up for a new age, it was uh, revived back in 2012, and it only ran for another season or so, but I, I still think there there is more to be found when it comes to figure it out. 21 years ago, on July 7th, 2001, the As Told by Ginger TV movie Summer at Camp Caprice premiered on Nickelodeon. Now, in the actual production order of As Told by Ginger, this is, in fact, three separate episodes collectively known as Season of Caprice, but you know with Nickelodeon, you know, they won't usually promote these episodes or big events as as their actual name. They'll find a, a more suitable name for promotional purposes. Summer at Camp Caprice just kind of makes sense. 
instead of season of caprice and misses the whole camp part and that doesn't really tell you what you're in for but let me tell you most of the stuff on this show if i haven't watched it in a while i'll tell you so and and i'll say i'll eventually get to it when i knew that we were coming up to the 21 year anniversary of summer at camp caprice I knew that that excuse wasn't going to cut it this time around because for years I have always said that the the best episode, in my opinion, of As Told by Ginger, or the one that I at least remember the most, was Summer at Camp Caprice. If if for some reason I was ever kidnapped and and tortured and and they and the torturers had uh, weapons to my head and they were yelling at me and they were like, "What is the best episode?" I would say, sir, uh, summer at Camp Caprice. That would be my answer. Um, now, honestly, I got to be real with you. I didn't remember much of the episode. I, I knew the whole Sasha thing. I knew I knew that Ginger found a guy that she liked because I know that that guy showed up in a future episode as more of a of a scumbag, if I remember. But I, I honestly couldn't remember what was it about this this episode that I just it stuck in my memory for so long. So I had time with my move this week, which I, I forgot to talk about. Um, you will, uh, if you will see my, my current office set up in the upcoming unboxing videos for the Nick box and bikini bottom box. This is a uh, temporary office, which by the way, now with all of the uh, stuff on the walls, on the floor, some of my, you know, knickknacks here and there, the reverb, not as bad as it was on previous episodes, but uh, yeah, this is a temporary office as the basement is getting redone. And from there, we, you know, I can actually build a, a set and a, and a decent setup for, for my recording purposes and for streaming and whatnot. So that'll that'll be more of a permanent setup. But for, for now, for the temporary, it's it's looking good. It's sounding better. But I had some time, so I actually watched Summer at Camp Caprice. And I got to say, it it holds up. It holds up as well as I remember it did. And, and it... Really, uh, you know, has a lot of storylines going on in it, which is not uncommon for us told by Ginger. That's kind of the point of the show is that they're they're juggling a lot of storylines at once. But uh, the, the movie itself, you can enjoy without watching as told by Ginger at all. There's a really nice starting point of this episode of who the characters are and what their expectations of their summers are. and And there's great character development through just this three-part episode, and especially the entire B-plot of Carl and Hoodsy uh, staying home for the summer trying to track down a dog napper was really intriguing. I wish it went a bit further, um, and I wish they actually caught the person in this in this time frame, which was really underwhelming by the end of, of the entire buildup. I, I wish there was a, a proper ending there with that B storyline, but that's my only real complaint of this TV movie, so... I, I give it a thumbs up. Even if you have never watched a single episode of As Told by Ginger, I, I would give the Summer at Camp Caprice a shot. It's the final episode listed on season one of As Told by Ginger on Paramount+. Plus. I think it aired before the, the last two episodes of the, uh, of the first season, but it may have been produced as the final episode of the first season with, uh, with of course, Summer being the main backdrop. So maybe the other two episodes were just held back for whatever reason. Uh, well, of course, to concede with their respective holidays, they were the Halloween episode and then the Christmas episode, respectively. 
Uh, so that that was probably the the finale of season one. So yeah, if you have Paramount Plus, definitely give the uh, TV movie a shot. I I think it's worth your time. And just to mention, the original as told by Ginger show was created by Emily Kapnick and was executive produced by Arlene Klasky and Gabar Chupo of the Klasky Chupo Animation Studio. From one TV movie to another, 18 years ago, on July 9th, 2004, The Adventures of Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius TV movie Win, Lose, and Kaboom premiered on Nickelodeon. The season two finale for The Adventures of Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius sees the crew beamed up to an intergalactic space show after they answered the message on a rock that was sent down to Retroville. This game, hosted by Meldar Prime, voiced by Tim Allen, who does an absolutely fantastic job here in the role, uh, hosts a game show in which all these different species from around the galaxy have to uh, compete in different games against one another, with the losing team's entire planet being blown up which, yes, means that Jimmy, Carl, Sheen, Cindy, Libby, Goddard, and Bulby are Earth's uh, only hope against the inevitable destruction from Meldar Prime. It's an absolutely wild ride, and from beginning to end, it's one of Jimmy Neutron's best episodes. Um, and it's crazy to know how good this special is, and knowing that it's not even, in my opinion, their best special, and just for how much I love this on its own. It's really impressive that they were able to keep the quality of this show continually going upward and onward. Uh, but I have more to talk about Jimmy Neutron and his specials going into the top five later on in the episode. But on to our next anniversary. 17 years ago, on July 9th, 2005, Catch Scratch premiered on Nickelodeon. Created by Doug Tenaple, the creator of Earthworm Jim, the show ran for one season of 20 episodes. Cat Scratch is surprisingly a loose adaptation of Tenaple's comic book series Gear, which if you've, if you've read that or have seen any of the artwork of Gear, you would go, whoa, this was the basis for a Nicktoon? And when I say loose adaptation, I, I really mean loose adaptation because other than the fact that it takes characters that were essentially created in, in Gear, Waffle... Mr. Black, who would then be renamed Mr. Blick, and Gordon, it's essentially these characters that were used for one thing that Doug decided, you know what, what if what if these three characters were just the stars of a of a Nickelodeon cartoon series? And and that is Cat Scratch. I know that doesn't explain anything about the show, but uh, it's because I've never actually watched much of Cat Scratch. And um and here's the thing. Cat Scratch, for me, was the first Nicktoon that I can remember that its premiere really didn't, it didn't hit the, the right way. There were other shows on Nickelodeon that were not produced by Nickelodeon, that were clearly produced by other companies elsewhere in the world that Nickelodeon were just broadcasting. So when I usually want to talk about the lesser end of Nickelodeon, the the least desired end of shows of Nickelodeon's history, I tend to not include the shows that were very clearly not not made for this network, you know? But when it comes to the stuff that were in-house, 
I don't know. There was just something about Cat Scratch that just didn't click with me the first time around. Uh, and I'm not even saying that I've had the second time because I've yet to have that time. I've yet to really sit down and watch Cat Scratch. I will tell you that in its promotion, I didn't like that a show could promote itself as the next best thing without it coming out and, and showing that it's the next best thing. Like, it's one of those actions speak louder than words type situations where I remember commercials for Cat Scratch, like telling you, the viewer, you are about to witness the next big Nicktoon. And it's like, wait, why would you say that? Like, no, the Rugrats, SpongeBob, they those shows weren't promoted as such. Those just naturally became massive cultural icons. So I, I just never liked shows that promoted themselves in that kind of manner. So I don't know if that had anything to do with it at the time of just me being like, oh yeah, I'm going to be stubborn. You're not going to be a, a the next best Nicktoon. I'm not going to watch you. I, I can't speak to my 14-year-old self, but I can tell you that I at least watched an episode or two of Cat Scratch and it just didn't click with me. I, I have no rhyme or reason. And at some point in my life, I will properly dive into that show um, today or tomorrow is not going to be that time, but it is time to move on to our next Nickelodeon property to cover because 11 years ago on July 9th, 2011, we had the premiere of the TV movie, a fairly odd movie, Grow Up Timmy Turner. Now, longtime listeners over the last few years or so, anytime we've come around this date, I've covered this movie and I have been fairly positive when it comes to talking about this movie. I generally enjoy Grow Up Timmy Turner. I'm not saying I love this movie or it's my preferred Fairly Odd movie. No, trust me. Abercatastrophe is my go-to Fairly Odd movie. I know a lot of you, Channel Chasers is your go-to. And then there's some of you out there who might even say School's Out the Musical. But this might not fall on that list for a lot of people out there. But let me just say something. When it comes to the idea of live-action Fairly Odd Parents, and I know that in 2022, with the, the sitcom out on Paramount+, Plus, this might be weird to say, but I do think that a live-action Fairly Odd Parents can work. And when I say that, I mean that the idea of a kid being gifted magical fairies to be able to do whatever he wants is an interesting concept and it doesn't have to follow Timmy, Cosmo, and Wanda. We can have a show where a kid randomly in the world just gets two other fairies or gets another, you know, just a single fairy. And what does he do with that? You know, that, that concept has never been explored at all. And I'm not here to give Nickelodeon ideas or anything, but I'm just saying without being tied down to Timmy Cosmo and Wanda, that concept there, there is room to, to figure that out in a live action setting. The rules, as far as that I'm concerned going into that would be that the fairies have to be animated. And as far as I'm concerned, both the movies and the television show have done a decent job in following that, whether or not they're CGI animated or their CGI 2D animated, which I'm not the biggest fan of uh, because 
thinking about how well the animation looked 30 years ago on something like Who Framed Roger Rabbit and knowing that, man, we, can, we can't even really achieve that same level anymore because nobody is willing to give the money for it or there are those out there not willing to give the time or they are willing to give the time and then it just goes back to those not willing to pay for it. I digress. Either way, though, I am glad that we have never gotten uh, a live action Fairly Odd Parents where they have tried uh, a person's head um, superimposed. Like, um, if you remember how the great gazoo looked like in the Flintstones' Viva Rock Vegas, Alan Cumming as a live action great gazoo, go and watch that movie and tell me that that wouldn't be like the mid-90s live action Fairly Odd Parents style. Like, they would do that with the little bodies dangling down from the neck. And it, it uh, just, it it doesn't work. I don't want to say it works. It looks okay for that movie, but you can tell that if they even tried that with Cosmo and Wanda, it, that's how it would look, and it just wouldn't look right. So I'm glad that they have always maintained that the fairies should just be animated characters. Um, as far as this first movie is concerned, there are some just notable moments. I enjoy Drake Bell as Timmy. I enjoy the story. Some of the character cameos are are decent, but above and beyond, I am glad that they were able to get Darren Norris to be dad, to be Mr. Turner, because he voices the character on the show as well as Cosmo. So not only did he get to play Cosmo in the movie, but he got to actually play the live action version of dad who I don't know if he was just animated to generally look like the guy, but I mean, it's just pitch perfect casting. I, I couldn't be happier about that. It's it's that would be on like a top 10. What like what would you want to be in a live action Fairly Odd Parents movie? And I would say Darren Norris as dad as number one, because I know it, it could be possible and they did it. So I, I have to give them kudos for that. Um, other than that, I, I think, if, hey, if you're going to do a live action Fairly Odd Parents movie, if if that has to exist and this is the the effort that's been given to us. I got to give a job well done. I can't really walk in and say I could do better. I I would honestly suggest instead of the CG fairies for them to just be traditionally 2D animated and and strive to to reach the same level of of Roger Rabbit of 2D animated characters interworking with a live action world, but I know that that's a that's a tough order to ask for, but that that would be my one thing I would walk in and say, can you change this? And other than that, my only other desire would maybe to just see more set pieces of the show done in live action. But that that's pretty much it. If you have never seen a fairly odd movie grow up Timmy Turner, I, I do recommend it. It is well worth at least one watch. Uh, the movie was directed by Savage Steve Holland, and it was written by Fairly Odd Parents creator Butch Hartman alongside Scott Fellows. Seven years ago, on July 6th, 2015, Talia in the Kitchen premiered on Nickelodeon. The telenovela was created by Katharina Lebudar and was directed by Clayton Bowen and Maria E. Pereira. It ran for one season of 40 episodes. Six years ago, on July 5th, 2016, Crashleets premiered on Nickelodeon. The show was hosted by one of my favorite NFL players of all time, Rob Gronkowski, and also Brandon Brody and Stevie Nelson, 
and the show presented a highlight reel of various viral videos of people failing at sports in front of a live audience of kids, essentially Nickelodeon's version of ridiculousness with a, a sports edge to it. Uh, I, unfortunately, as much of a fan of Rob Gronkowski as, as I am, I did not catch any episodes of Crash Leets. I'm not sure if it's available on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, I'll have to I'll have to check to see, but the show did run for three seasons of 60 episodes. Six years ago, on July 9th, 2016, Legendary Dudas premiered on Nickelodeon. Created by Kevin Jakubowski, the show ran for one season of six episodes. One year ago, on July 9th, 2021, we had the premiere of two brand new Nicktoons, the first of which, a spinoff of Nickelodeon's biggest show ever, took the sidekick of SpongeBob and gave him his very own talk show. A talk show that, from what I understand, is, is all taking place with inside of the head of one Patrick Starr. The Patrick Starr show, of course, is uh, based off of characters originally created by Steven Hillenburg, but was further developed by Luke Brookshire, Mark Caccarelli, Andrew Goodman, Kaz, Mr. Lawrence, and Vincent Waller. The show currently only has one season of 18 episodes, but was picked up for an additional 13 episodes of the first season, and then on March 21st, 2022, Nickelodeon renewed it for a second season. The one thing I will give the Patrick Star Show credit for is its use of alternate animation styles to tell various SpongeBob-related stories. Uh, the Patrick Star Show is essentially robot chicken mixed with SpongeBob SquarePants, but not everything is stop motion. There have been some segments, but uh, there have been some other animation techniques used, and it's just an interesting lens to look into the SpongeBob world. It doesn't necessarily make everything canon, of what you're seeing in this show, and, and that's what makes it fun. That's what makes it unique, and it lets other people come in and work on SpongeBob who probably would not be caught dead working on SpongeBob because, hey, we're we're expanding what the view is here because this is a, a show that, as far as I know, takes place inside the unbelievably creative mind of Patrick Starr for the most part. Um, I, I do recommend the Patrick Star Show. There is some there is some interesting segments to be found. But what I even recommend more so is the other Nicktoon that premiered a year ago on July 9th, 2021, and that is Middlemost Post, the show created by John Trabick III and is currently in its first season of 20 episodes. In March as well, Nickelodeon renewed the series for an additional 13-episode run and I am glad that we get to visit The Post for another 13 episodes. I've mentioned my my love for Middlemost Post from the beginning, just off of the basis alone that it has to do with the Postal Service and, and just delivering mail. For my entire life, my mother has worked for the United States Postal Service, has, has done incredible things for the communities that she has worked a part of, and has countlessly inspired me to work harder in my own life. So um, that also stems to my appreciation to the United States Postal Service, and therefore anything that even attempts to bring a positive light 
to the delivering of mail and its importance and and I'm going to just be grateful for that alone on that basis. But then when you actually watch Middlemost Post, you find an absolutely gorgeous, colorful, beautiful, vibrant, and wondrous world that just feels right at home with Nickelodeon with characters that feel like they've they've been here for years. I, I can't just say that enough. Parker J. Cloud is a wonderful Nicktoon, and just getting John DiMaggio to come in and voicing Angus is is a match made in heaven. Uh, I, I've loved every episode of Middlemost Post that I've watched, and just knowing that it's got a, a nice following coming behind it is, is great to see. If you haven't watched Middlemost Post, I can't recommend it enough. Um, for me, it, it's one of my favorite 2D Nicktoons of the last decade or so, um, even going beyond Nicktoons. As an adult, there have been very few 2D animated shows that have made me fall in love with them as much as I did the shows I watched as a child. One of those shows wasn't a Nicktoon, it was a regular show, and, and another show that I can say followed that has been Middlemost Post. So uh, my salute... To you, John, my salute to all of those working on Middlemost Post and my salute to all of those who are working on the Patrick Star Show. Keep being weird, keep being chaotic, um, and, and just have fun with the SpongeBob brand. It's, it's a wondrous sight to see. Now, on to Captain Eric's top five of the week. I'm going over my top five Adventures of Jimmy Neutron specials. I am also including episodes that were over uh, promoted as specials, even if they were only a half hour. And, and you'll understand with my first two choices here. Uh, number five, The Eggpire Strikes Back, an inevitable first season episode that featured the Yokians returning from the Jimmy Neutron movie. I mean inevitable because after the end of that movie, we we knew that King Gubot would return at some point. It was like a, the Sword of Damocles hanging over that show. It was bound to happen. That character was going to elicit revenge on Retroville and on Jimmy and his entire friends and family. And it's it's one of those, those big hype moments for me as a kid. Just like, oh my God, it's happening. Those characters are returning and... And I really love that uh, that special. It, it's not a full hour, hour and a half long special, but um, it's it's a nice return of those characters. Number four is actually the premiere episode of Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius, When Pants Attack. Now, the movie was was fantastic, and they didn't have to, to come out of the gate this strong with their first episode, but they did... And and man, it is a it is a real slam dunk of a first episode. They they did not have to uh, to pull out all of the stops like this, but they did. And man, it, it just set the precedent for what you would expect on a weekly uh, basis from the Adventures of Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius. I don't know what I expected coming from a TV show from a movie, but I definitely didn't expect one of this quality. Um, there was a very smart choice done by doing the movie first, so then they'd be able to to use that budget to create these uh, models that they'd be able to then reuse for the TV show. It's it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And, hey, we got that on a weekly basis now. Instead of getting this big old theatrical movie, we were getting that kind of, of Jimmy Neutron content week after week after week. 
And the first episode here, When Pants Attack, really had to, to put that mark down as to what you'd be expecting from the, the studio. And I absolutely love it. Uh, number three, this is where I'm going to put Win, Lose, and Kaboom, the uh, aforementioned TV movie from earlier with the Tim Allen, Evil Alien, and the game show. Highly recommend it. Um, I, I already talked about it a ton earlier and it's, it's place. So if you want to hear more about that, you can just rewind this episode or, or just click over to when I talked about win, lose and kaboom. Uh, number two, Jimmy Neutron jet fusion. As far as I know, it's their first TV movie, uh, an entire lampooning of the spy genre and just bringing Boy genius Jimmy Neutron into that world, a match made in heaven with all of his gadgets, getting to see Jimmy be a spy, uh, getting to see Carl sing the entire way, and getting to, you know, fall in love with this new character, Jet Fusion, which you think would be a joke character, but he then makes a glorious return in future episodes of the show, so it's a, it's a pretty big episode, and and with it being such a big episode, what could possibly be number one? Well, of course, that's the Jimmy Timmy Power Hour. Boom. <laughs> Case closed. Number one, baby. Yeah. I mean, who who would have guessed anything else? And and if you consider that a fairly odd parent special, or if you don't want to consider those, then then you can just bump Jet Fusion up and uh and then put the uh the attack of the Twonkies there at the bottom. But yeah, the Jimmy Timmy Power Hour. You you can't really ask for a better special than that from from either of those shows. That's probably my favorite special. The only thing I would say is maybe a Fairly Odd Parents, uh, as mentioned, maybe Abracatastrophe for me might sit higher for a Fairly Odd Parents adventure. But for Jimmy Neutron purposes, seeing Timmy in the Jimmy world and then seeing Jimmy have to work around the magical world of the fairies, it, it was a fun time, an unforgettable experience, and uh, and it's a, a core memory there, core memory that uh, will always stay. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be this week in Nickelodeon history. As always, my name is Captain Eric. I appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. And please consider listening to my other podcast, which drops every Wednesday. I'm ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. Also consider subscribing to the Captain Eric YouTube channel, where you can also click that bell for notifications. But I implore you to follow me on Twitter, at I'm Ready Podcast. It's one of my favorite platforms to be on. I love interacting with you guys. I love interacting in the in the Twitter world. Nothing but positivity from the Captain Eric Twitter account. You can also follow me on Instagram at SpongeBob Podcast. I'll also have some updates, uh, some pictures of the office and any of the future updates moving forward. You can also purchase new and updated merch at the Redbubble link, either in the podcast description or in the link from any of my socials. Anything that comes in through my projects go directly back into my projects, and it is always appreciated. Please stay safe out there, be kind to one another, and come aboard again to another This Week in Nickelodeon History.